Please rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost is recorded in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. This passage teaches us about human government and divine, and we should remember that God gives human government the authority and the power to punish wrongdoing. This we sometimes refer to as the first use of the law, whereby God keeps civilization, really, the world in check, like the curb on the edge of the street to keep new drivers from bouncing up onto your lawn and crashing into your favorite tree. We call this the law as a curb, really to prevent too much wrongdoing and violence from wrecking and overrunning the world. The law also, God's law also serves as a mirror. This is the second use of the law. And through this, just as in a mirror, I check out not what's right with me so much as all the things that are wrong with me uh, so that I can correct and fix. And that's what God's law does for us too. We see ourselves in it. This is what God's will says and this is where I fall short. This is where I'm sinning. The law as a mirror shows me my sins, where my life needs to change. Now the law has another use, a third use, and we're going to talk about that later, but when the first two uses, curb and especially mirror, have showed me my need for a savior, showed me my sinfulness, then in our parable, God, or rather, well, Jesus, the Son of God, talks about 
the forgiveness of sins. First of all, the forgiveness that God gives to us. And second of all, the forgiveness that he wants us to share with each other. In our parable, there is a man who owes his master, a king, 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents. And there's a second man who owes the first servant a uh, uh, hundred silver coins. Now, the 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents, amounts to an incredible sum of money. What I read, and I've been warned not to do my own math in the pulpit, but I've read that it's about $40 billion with a B. It's a huge sum of money. Who could ever have that much debt? Even I don't have that kind of credit card debt. $40 billion. Uh, and, and, and the other man owed about 5000 Now, that would be a serious debt, wouldn't it? To owe four or $5,000? You would be told, you have to pay this back. The government would say, you've got to pay that back. And you might even have a penalty or your, your uh, wages might be garnished. So that you pay back what you owe. But what if you somehow were the one who owed billions, with a B, tens of billions of dollars? You know, part of me, this isn't really maybe a valid detail to pick out of the parable, but if, how would a servant or an employee ever rack up that kind of debt? Uh, did, did you make some poor choices? Did you make some poor purchases? Did, uh, did you see an online offer to buy the planet Jupiter? And you said, I'm in, and now they want you to pay. And how would you ever? No, I, I, I think it's pretty clear that this guy was probably, what, a swindler, a cheat, a thief? In fact, maybe he swindled and cheated and stole from everybody he knew and more people beyond. I don't know how he got that kind of a debt, but it was enormous. Even if he and his whole family and all of their possessions, an extended family, and all of their possessions had been put into prison to, to pay for this, it wouldn't even make a, a, a single dent in that kind of a debt. But our debt before God is even more terrible. God says to the human conscience, have no other gods. And the conscience realizes, I, I can't keep that. Every time that we are selfish, greedy, lustful, envious, whatever it is, we're telling God, I don't trust you to give me the gifts that I should have, the gifts that you offer. I'm going to go and do an end run around you, God, and grab at gifts I think I have coming because I don't trust you because you're not the God I want to worship. And what are we really saying? Because I'm the God I really want to worship. My opinion, my desire matters more to me than your holy will. And you and I realize that we have built up a debt so large we could never pay it off. We who can't keep one single letter of the law have a debt that is greater than, than anything we can ever imagine. And when the conscience hears this, it begins to look every which way, like a trapped animal, like, like, like a pinned animal. And the 
the, the, the conscience wants to begin to say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to deny the charge. And we can't deny it. God's verdict is just. We begin to say, I'm, I'm going I'm to negotiate. And maybe we can talk this down a little bit. And, and, but God's judgment is righteous and holy. And there is no negotiation. And then we begin to want to at least hide. But could Adam and Eve hide? We can't hide. And so the conscience is trapped. The sinner is trapped. I am trapped in my sins and I cannot get out of them no matter what I try to do. And like the king in the parable, our heavenly father is thinking about my debt. This debt is unbearable. It is unpayable. It is impossible. The burden of, of a single sin handcuffs us and, and, and chains our legs and our feet in shackles and, and we face an eternity of agony and punishment and pain and loneliness and separation from any kind of compassion or friendliness or friendship or love of any kind. The love of God has fled from us. Then what happens in our fear? We listen to the gospel. And simply because of Jesus, not because of, of my urgent prayer or my sincerity or, or, or my feelings, but because of Jesus, our Heavenly Father has lifted all of that away from each one of us. The, the handcuffs are gone, the chains are undone, the prison door that was to be our cell is, is closed to us forever. We can never get in. Hell is, is, is shut off from us because of Christ. We are stricken from all of the records, from the lists uh, that, that, that might be there in hell. Hell has no way to grab at us. It has no authority. The gates of hell will never prevail against us. And in eternity, where there is only heaven and hell, to be removed from hell so thoroughly, so completely, means that all that there is for us is the infinity of heaven. God's heaven. He has rescued us and brought us to be with Him forever. How grateful we are. How, how thankful. We don't know how to thank God enough. We ask Him, what can I do? Can I serve you for the rest of my days? And, and yes, for all eternity. And I will never get tired of it, Lord. I will just thank you and serve you and and adore you for what you have done. And then in a single moment, we go back to thinking about ourselves, to turning away from that forgiveness and for turning on one another, like this forgiven but for, unforgiving servant. We forget our debt, our forgiven debt, and we go and grab hold of somebody who owes us so little so very small a debt who's wronged us just a teeny bit, who's guilty of being the same kind of sinner that, that, that we are. And we want to jump into God's big boots and 
grab him by the throat and rattle him and say, You owe me! We forget our forgiveness. And God would be perfectly right and justified to go back and pick up all of our debts and drop it back into our laps and say, if you're going to treat each other that way, then you're going to pay this on your own and it'll take forever. You do unto others and it's going to be done to you. Maybe each one of us, I don't know, has a one thing in mind, one, maybe one person they just can't forgive. That person that did something so revolting, so hurtful, so hateful, that you just can't forgive it or get past it. And you want to say just quietly to yourself, you know, I know that God wants me to forgive this, but I just can't. Stand yourself for a moment next to the Apostle Peter. Old Peter. Of all the apostles, he and maybe John are like the ones who seem right like old buddies. Like, you know this guy. You'd recognize him. You'd, and you're standing there and, and oh, you find yourself in the courtyard of the high priest. And it's a late March, early April evening and you're warming yourself by the by the burning barrel out, out there in the courtyard and there are other people and some little girl walks up and accuses your buddy of having a Galilean accent and he knows what that means and he's like, no, I don't know, just Jesus. And he begins to curse and swear and, and the guards are taking Jesus from A to B and Jesus turns around and he looks at Peter. And you catch yourself as Peter runs away and weeps bitterly you realize the words were just on your lips. I know I should forgive, but I, I just can't. And Jesus looks at you. What am I doing here? Now, I, I can't tell you what emotion you're feeling over that, but I can share with you what I'm feeling, and that's fear. It's real terror. It is shame, and there's guilt, and there is embarrassment and worthlessness that makes begin to begin to really, really understand the words, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And it's Jesus' hand that comes and grabs us by the chin and lifts us up. And he takes your face in his hands and he wipes the tears from your cheeks with his thumbs. And he stood you up and he stands you beside him and he maybe he hugs you and he says, I came to forgive you. That too. All of it. It's all forgiven. Your fear, your terror, your shame, let go of it. Because you're covered by my righteousness. My holiness, I have forgiven you all of it, and I've made you mine forever. Remember that the, the law has a third use, said come back to that. When we know the forgiveness we have in Jesus that lifts all of it off of our shoulders and, and takes it all away like it never even existed, we want to say, I, I want to serve you. 
And that's where we come back to the law. Not because it's something to to show us our, our, our shame and embarrassment and our awfulness, but because in the law, there's God's will. And we're invited, we Christians, to to dip back into it, not to keep in order to earn something, but because that's where God shows us what he wants us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your your father and mother and people in authority. And there's a whole list of, of things not to do. This is what he wants us to do to show our love for him. This is the law as a guide. That's the third use of the law for you and me. A how-to manual on how to say thank you to Jesus for what Jesus has done for us. And however your conscience has been attacked today by the law, by the law as a curb, especially as a mirror, showing us our sinfulness and our flaws, the gospel of Jesus Christ of his blood and his righteousness has taken all of that mistakenness and sent it away. You know, Peter asks, how many times should I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? And he, and he offers out seven. I think he's being kind of generous with that because I'm not sure how many of us ever even get close to seven. We tend to give people maybe one chance and I don't know about two. We like to say three strikes and you're out. Thanks, Abner Doubleday, for inventing that phrase. And uh, maybe we should, you know, listen more carefully to at least Peter, if not to Jesus, because Jesus goes 77. Another interpretation is 70 times 7. And the point is that it's not a math problem. It's a keep on forgiving invitation. For all of the number of times I've been forgiven, I want to forgive. I don't want someone to keep a tally of every single one of my mistakes because I know there's another one coming and another and another because of the sinful, shameful, sinning human nature. So forgive. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us is a guide for me to forgive because I've been forgiven so much. Not for any other reason but that we are forgiven because God loves you so much, so big, with so, so powerfully you and I want to forgive so much so big, so powerfully in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who forgave. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we join together confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed.